0: Welcome, you're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Given today's challenging subject, the double prayer experience we just had will probably be good because this one is a bit challenging and it's, uh, I'm actually looking forward to it, but it is a... um, it is a difficult subject to wade into. I hope to do so with grace and with gentleness. And my prayer as we I've thought about this is that I can do my bit with grace and gentleness and you can do your bit with grace and gentleness. So we'll see how it goes. Today we're continuing our series that we called Conversions. We're talking about the desperate, and I do emphasize the word desperate, the desperate need for Christians to be born again and to experience the Holy Spirit's ongoing conversion. And today's focus is converting from prioritizing our nation, our country, to prioritizing the kingdom of God. And so today we are poking at the messy and the difficult dynamic and relationship between being a Christ follower, and being an American. Now, it is possible I've lost a few of you already. Put you on the defensive. Put the guard up a little bit. I understand that. I hope it's not the case, but I do understand it. A pastor's job, in the words of a brilliant theologian named Walter Brueggemann, is to occasionally, and these are his words, nurture, nourish, nourish and evoke a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. Which means, I would never pretend to be able to interpret Brueggemann, but it means, I think, to occasionally invite people to rethink, reconsider, and reimagine some stuff they're already convinced of struggle with some stuff they don't even realize need to be struggled with. So I want to kind of warn you, as I already have, but this could be the kind of message that increases your dislike of me. This could be the kind of message that may make you wonder if the time has finally come to start looking at other church websites and times when they meet. It's the kind of message where you might find yourself listening to make sure I don't bash your political views any more than the other side. So this could be the kind of message where you're keeping track of the political swipes to make sure they get evenly distributed. Don't ask me why we're talking about this topic today. I've thought, boy, this was a dumb idea. I really thought that as I started working on it, it's obviously too late to change it, and the truth of the matter is, I'm being kind of joking about it, but the truth is, this is exactly the kind of thing that we as Christ followers should be stepping toward and into. So, in the language that we've used in the past, I'd invite us all to lay down our stones, to pull up a chair to enter into the difficulty of the conversation if you find it difficult, and again, to be gentle and gracious and respectful. A few weeks ago, I came across what to me was an unsettling comment made by Francis Schaeffer. Uh, Some of you know that name. He wrote this many years ago in a book called A Christian Manifesto, and here's the statement. He wrote, We must not confuse the kingdom of God with our country. To say it another way, we should not wrap our Christianity in our national flag. Think of that image. Image of the cross. Image of our Christianity, if some other image gets that for you, wrapped or draped in the American flag. What Schaefer is saying is we should not wrap the cross, we should not wrap Christianity in in our national flag. This is what we're talking about today. And at this time, in the midst of the tension and the division in our nation, on the brink of an election, it is critical for followers of Jesus Christ to pause and think about our faith and our flag, or the priority of country and the priority of the kingdom. So our scripture reading, I'd ask you to stand for it. If you have your Bible, it's in Philippians chapter 3. If you have the app. It's in there as well. It's kind of split up into two different uh, sections from Philippians chapter three. I'm going to read starting in verse four through 10, and then I'll read 17 through 21. This is the apostle Paul writing these words. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Down in verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have told you before and now tell you again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. And these next two verses are really Significant for where we're heading today. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. He may be seated, so today, I hope to nurture, nourish, and evoke a fresh awareness and vision of who we are as christ' followers and what conversion from a focus on country to a focus on kingdom might look like, and to kind of kind of do this around this idea of four new realities for citizens of god 's kingdom here 's the first one the first new reality for citizens of God's kingdom is a new identity. In this passage, we just read the apostle Paul abandons his impressive pedigree because it pales in comparison to being a citizen of Jesus's kingdom. So Paul relinquishes his identity as an Israelite. Israel was God's chosen people. He Relinquishes his identity as an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin, a hall of fame Hebrew, we might say, a teacher of the Mosaic law. And verse 7 says, Whatever was gained to me, whatever was to my advantage or profit, I gave it up. And verse 8, he goes further, says it more strongly. I consider it garbage, he says, because of the surpassing worth of being in Christ. And then he pulls it all together in verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. Our address has changed. Our identity has changed. The country of origin that we're part of has changed. Our passport has changed. Our citizenship, he says, has changed. And so for Christ followers, our new, our new identity is as a citizen of God's kingdom. Not someday in the future, but right now, present tense. Our citizenship is in heaven. And the Greek word for citizenship is a derivative of the word polis, P-O-L-I-S, from where we get our word political. Now that is fitting. For followers of Jesus, our citizenship, our polis, our political affiliation then, is first and foremost the kingdom of God. So what that means is we strive to uphold kingdom values and teachings and principles. God's constitution, the constitution of the kingdom of God, we might say, as it is set forth and outlined in scripture, sets the framework of our lives. Now, when I read or say our citizenship is in heaven and this is our new identity, this is now to be our first identity. When I say that, it sounds, maybe it sounds nice. It sounds like a bit of a religious slogan. Maybe it's a quaint religious slogan, but I'm saying it. It's me. It's Mike, the guy who just, you know, Prayed when he wasn't supposed to. So I said, it's me saying it. And it sounds good and it's cool. But when Paul says it in this scripture reading and in other places, at least for me, I find it thick with substance. And everything sort of stops. You see, he didn't add citizen of heaven to his resume. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, a persecutor of the church, faultless and righteous, and a citizen of the kingdom of God. He did not do that. His citizenship in God's kingdom redefines him. It is his new identity, life, his life, and values, and ethics, and votes. And decisions and choices originate and are fashioned now in his identity as a kingdom citizen. So, I guess we could say, as some people do when they're trying to deal with this, that we now have dual citizenship. Some of us who are here are citizens of the United States, and we are citizens, some of us, of God's kingdom. So it's dual citizenship. But you know, that just feels thin compared to Paul's words. Our citizenship is in heaven. And all this other stuff, Hebrew, Israelite, I consider garbage because I am in Christ. Now, I want to be clear about something before I go even one step further. It is good for citizens of the kingdom of God to care about our country, to be actively engaged in efforts to improve it. It is fitting and right and good to have appropriate levels of patriotism, to be grateful for the freedoms that we enjoy and for those who secured those freedoms with a myriad of sacrifices. It is good for kingdom citizens to vote and to care about society and about social issues. But here's the rub. Christians often seem to prioritize their American identity or their political identity over their kingdom identity. American or Republican or Democrat seems like it really is their main and first identity. And the Christian thing or the citizen of the kingdom thing is tacked onto the American or Republican or Democrat thing. It seems for many Christians then, the big sweeping banner that flies over their lives reads American citizen or Republican American citizen or Democratic American citizen. And everything else, including their values and their faith and their kingdom citizenship, fits somewhere underneath this big, sweeping, defining banner. And I just want to say it should not be like this for Christ followers. Because Christ followers, according to the Apostle Paul, are to be kingdom citizens before anything else. Kingdom citizens before we are American citizens or Democrats or Republicans. So the big sweeping banner over our lives is to say kingdom citizen. And this is to be our first and main identity. And it is to shape our values and our political choices and every other aspect of our lives. Second, new reality for kingdom Citizens, is a new power. America is almost synonymous with power. Unparalleled power. American superiority, as it is sometimes stated. But Paul profoundly says in verse 21, speaking of Jesus Christ, who, he says, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Think about that. That's talking about someone who has the power, the actual power to bring everything under his control. Not a few things, not most things, but everything. Now, who else can do that? President Trump, Senator Biden, the Supreme Court. Who has the power to bring everything under their control? See, this is a new kind and degree of power. For about 40 years, Christians in our country have leaned on one of two theories to determine their engagement with culture and their engagement in what is sometimes called the public square. One theory says Christians should use political and other kinds of power to legislate God's principles into the society. So the society conforms to God's will as much as possible. The culture wars sprung out of this. If you're familiar with that, legislate morality, legislate goodness. And Christian Democrats and Republicans are routinely pulled into this. And there's, value to it, obviously. These days you may hear of this power being wielded not so nicely by Christians when they say things or they tweet things or they put on social media. Here's how it goes. You can't be a Christian and vote for fill in the blank. The second theory is skeptical about the overall effectiveness of institutional power to bring about lasting and authentic social change. There's just too much messiness and brokenness in human hearts. So as citizens of God's kingdom, this second theory goes, while we should care about society and do our best and vote for those who uphold kingdom values and ethics, if possible, it will only go so far The real action is in demonstrating the power of Christ through our individual lives and even more so, mostly through the community of the local church. The second theory then says winning a culture war is not how the kingdom of God prevails. The church is to display the reality of the kingdom. The church is to be an example of an alternative society that quite literally shows the world what the world could be if the world were to submit to Jesus the king. So a local church, if you want to put it this way, is to be a colony of heaven on earth. The kingdom on display. Kingdom ethics and values being embodied and incarnated and displayed in our relationships, in your family, in the conflicts that come up and how we handle the differences politically and economically and racially, all of that and so much more is where we as one local church, display the kingdom. And that's how we uh, deal with power. And for what it's worth, and it's not worth much more than a stick of juicy fruit gum, but I embrace this second approach, this second theory. But either way, citizens of God's kingdom need to think carefully about power. Because power in all its forms is a kingdom issue where it comes from, who's affected by it, how power is used, how it's wielded, how it's abused, how it is misused. How do we as citizens of God's kingdom relate then to American power? And I'm going to take another risk here. Uh, I want us to think about a phrase we have all become familiar with, and I'm bringing this up not to get political as we understand that notion, but I'm bringing this up because citizens of God's kingdom need to think about these things, agitating as they may be. These are kingdom matters. So I want us to think about this phrase, make America great again. That got your attention. you realize the majority of the Bible was written to those who were living on the edges of society? Majority of the Bible was written to those living out on the edges, way far away from the power centers of a city or a town or a community. It was written to people who had no status, no power, people who were trapped in an empire. The vast majority of the scriptures we read was written to people who were trapped in an empire, whether it was Egyptian, Assyrian, Babylonian, Persian, or Roman. And so those who originally heard the Bible, including these Philippians, were powerless in their setting. And they're being told, as we read in Philippians 3, and it's in hundreds of other places, they were told God has ultimate power, resurrection power, power over everything. And in their context, given who they were, that really meant something. But you and I live in the most powerful nation on planet earth, military muscle economic muscle, geopolitical muscle. How do we relate to this as citizens of God's kingdom? We have to think about this. We have to think about this idea of American superiority in light of our kingdom citizenship and resist the temptation to fuse American superiority with kingdom citizenship As if they are one in the same thing. Make America great again. How do we process that as citizens of God's kingdom? Believe me, I am not intending to just kind of toss that aside. I'm saying let's as kingdom citizens think about that. How do we process it? Think about great in light of Jesus's teaching in Matthew chapter 20, I'll read it. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This has no weight or pull or authority for those who are not citizens of God's kingdom. But if we are, we have to think about this. And you may have noticed in this little teaching of Jesus, authentic kingdom power undercuts typical ideas of human power or national power. Because kingdom power is sacrificial. God-like love, agape love is the technical term for it. Love that sacrifices, love that serves, love that lays down, love that gives everything away for the good of the other. That, my friends, is kingdom power. It does not conquer through superiority, it sacrifices. It serves, it's other-centered. To make America great again in Jesus' economy has to involve making America a servant. Again, whatever that might mean. Third, new reality for citizens of the kingdom is a new constitution to live by. We're familiar with the wonderful opening words of the Constitution of our nation. They read like this. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Beautiful words. But what if the constitutional rights afforded us as citizens of the United States are somehow at cross purposes or in conflict with the responsibilities we have as citizens of God's kingdom? And again, may I say, resist the temptation to fuse the two as if the constitution of the United States and the constitution of the kingdom of God were one and the same thing. What about the constitution of God's kingdom? What do we mean by that? We mean his outline for shalom and for flourishing and for goodness to permeate everything, everyone, everywhere. The good life, as we might call it. What about that constitution? It's set forth in many places. It's set forth in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. It is set forth in the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And it's laid out in many other practical teachings found throughout the Bible. Be healed of anger and of lust. Would be one aspect of this Constitution. Love and treasure your spouse if you have one. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Respond to those who harm you with sacrificial love. Bless those who insult you is part of the Constitution. Love your enemies is part of the Constitution of the Kingdom. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Honor those who govern you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Be merciful toward those who do wrong. Care for the poor. Take care of the widows. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Protect those who cannot protect themselves. Work for justice. Love, mercy. Welcome, the foreigner and the stranger because you as a citizen of the kingdom were at one time a foreigner and a stranger to the kingdom. So welcome the foreigner and the stranger show hospitality to all. We could go on and on till seven twenty this evening with this Matthew 22 is a summary of the kingdom constitution. Love God with everything you've got, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we should obviously try to inject these kingdom ethics into the bloodstream of our nation through voting and legislation, but even more, we should prioritize these kingdom ethics and live them out in our life together as a local church. We embody these ethics in our local church right here, right now, and beyond. Scott McKnight in his wonderful book called Kingdom Conspiracy wrote this in one simple sentence. What Christians want for the nation should first be a witnessed reality in their local church. Until that local church embodies that desire for the nation, the church's witness has no credibility. Too many Christians have ignored the politic of the local church and bowed down to the politics of the world. Politics is a colossal distraction from kingdom mission. Politics entails the weakening of our kingdom message. He continues politics entails energies that take time that could be used more directly for kingdom mission tasks. Politics means seeking to influence the state in the direction of the kingdom, but in doing so it is asking the public and the state to put into law and policy the kingdom story. Politics sees victory when a candidate wins or when a law passes or a policy is reformed, but we kingdom people don't need the state, we don't need the majority, and we must refrain from equating victory in the world with kingdom mission. See, the starting point for living out the constitution of the kingdom, believe it or not, is through the local church. We, Oak Hills, as a local church, are to be a colony of the kingdom of God on earth right now. I don't know about you, but That gives me some sense of this is an adventure, my friends. This is like where the action is. The prayer we're all so familiar with. Think about it. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer is to be answered and fulfilled through our example as a church. Wow. Wow. Look at the way they handle conflict. Look at the way people who are over here and over here somehow become one because of this person named Jesus. That is the kingdom, and that is the reality we are to incarnate. Lastly, a fourth reality for kingdom citizens is a new confidence. Where is our confidence in these chaotic days? What do you trust these days? The military might of our nation? Economic growth potential? A vaccine for COVID? President Trump? Senator Biden? The Supreme Court? The outcome of this next election? Jimmy Garofalo? What are you trusting? Where's your confidence? See, in America, it is really hard to put our confidence in God because there are so many other seemingly viable and more tangible options. So one of our ongoing temptations is to sort of pat God on the head, but trust something other than him for our security and for our future and for goodness In the present. So this is Jesus as our team's mascot instead of Jesus as our King. Or in the wonderful words of a movie character known as Cool Hand Luke, this is a plastic Jesus sitting on the dashboard of my life instead of King Jesus reigning over my life. In John 19, in verse 11, you remember the scene. Jesus is with Pontius Pilate, one of the most powerful people on the planet. Not the most, but one of the most. He's having a conversation with him a few hours before he's executed. And they're going back and forth. And at one point, Jesus says these most stunning words. He says to this powerful ruler... You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Think about that. Colossians 1, verses 16 through 17, Paul says, In him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Now hear this language. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and all things hold together in him. Matthew 28 verse 18, he's about to ascend back to his father. And he says to this ragtag group of people who are his disciples, imagine this, they're going, what? You want us to do what? And then he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Wait a minute. You're saying we are following the most powerful being In the universe. Exactly. And Philippians 3 and verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. We could go on and on. And this is either the insanity of the biblical writers or it is reality. The word that comes to mind in reading about the supremacy of Jesus over all things, the the sense that our confidence is in this great one, here's the word that comes to mind. Relax. 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 It almost makes you want to tear up in the middle of this mess we're in to go, wait a second. He's able to bring everything under his control. So, relax. Yeah, but November 3rd's coming. Everything under his control. Relax. Colossians 3, let's fiddle with that a bit. Set your hearts, O kills Church, where your citizenship is. Things above. Not up there in the sky, past the sun, past the moon, in some little celestial city that has got angels swirling around in it. Not that. Set in things above the kingdom. Set your mind where your citizenship is. Things above the kingdom. For your life, Paul says, your real, actual life, the good life that you want is now, at present, hidden with Christ in God. And this is why Paul says so easily in our scripture reading, all this accomplishment, all this national identity, all this pedigree is dust in the wind. Compared to knowing Him and being in Him, the King who is ultimately over everything. Relax. Breathe. All is well. Why? Because Jesus is King. Jordan, if you guys would come up We want to do more than listen to me, blah, 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 and all these things. And we want to sink into this for a moment. You know, we have all these things about our wonderful nation. And I hope that you know that this is not intended at all to be anti-America. It's to be pro-kingdom. Prioritize the kingdom of God. Our citizenship is in heaven. Allegiance is a word that comes to mind. Loyalty is a word that comes to mind. Profession, declaration. Where do we stand? First, foundationally, and foremost. This is where we want to end today. Standing where we stand. And we thought it'd be a good idea trying to think of what's our allegiance as citizens of the kingdom? What, are, what do we declare? Where can we say, you know what, we stand here. And obviously there's many things that we could use, but we've opted to use the Apostles' Creed. It's been used by Christians all through the centuries to declare out loud into the air, into the atmosphere where we stand as citizens of God's kingdom. So it's in the app. I wouldn't imagine too many of you have this memorized unless you're Dave Holcomb. But beyond that, you might need to look it up in the app. I'd like to ask you to stand. Give you a second to locate it if you don't have it yet, but you'll see it listed there, the Apostles' Creed. I invite you to join me as we read this uh, as a declaration of our citizenship in heaven. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. and the life everlasting.